Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Hey, we're podcasting live from Sophie's Crate in Annapolis. Morgan, let's talk about this Beaver Island thing, and then we'll go into carpeting. So if you haven't listened to the podcast before, Morgan's somewhat of a regular. Want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Morgan Kupfer from uh, Tightline Tales of a Fly Fisherman. Uh, it's a blog that focuses on uh, industry gear, gear reviews, industry news, um, and fly fishing in and around Annapolis, and uh, yeah, all over the place. So I first heard about Beaver Island from Cameron at the Fiberglass Manifesto, and I'm like, Beaver Island, sight fishing for carp? I had no idea what it was, and out of nowhere, this place is now like a go-to destination for fly anglers. So can you tell us, what is Beaver Island, where is it, how do you get to it, and then we'll go into... Uh, why is it such a, a magical place to fly fish? Yeah, so Beaver Island, I guess, well, it's obviously been there for a long time. Um, it was settled by, it was originally uh, inhabited by a bunch of Indians, uh, local people indigenous to the area, and then it was uh, found as the settlers made their way west. Um, it is in the middle of Lake Michigan, and it's uh, pretty much right across from Charlevoix, which is south of Traverse City. So it's pretty far up into the lake, um, northern part of the lake. Um, and the carp fishing, I guess, 
was found about 10 years ago by Kevin Morlock, who is now uh, you know, Indigo Guide Service. He'd been there for about 10 years uh, now. And um, it didn't really become big until about four years ago, I think, when Cam Mortensen started to go up there and host trips. And now it's just, I think this year it made like one of the top destinations of summer for fly fishing. So the area is really blown up and it's great for the indigo guides that are up there. There's now uh, three guides. Steve Martinez came on about seven years ago and then Austin Aducci came on about three. I think this is his fourth season. So it's become really big to the point where they, they're booking out trips throughout the entire month of June and July. So, And it is an actual island, unlike Rhode Island, which is a misnomer. Right, so it's a, it's a, Beaver Island is, is the, the largest island. There's an entire uh, archipelago, and it's surrounded by, I honestly don't know how many islands, I, I believe around 20, maybe less, um, all of which are surrounded by flats. Uh, Beaver Island has one of the deepest harbors of the islands in Lake Michigan, so it's been pretty accessible. By you can get there by ferry, you can get there by plane, by flying in from Traverse City or from Charlevoix. Uh, just little puddle jumpers. Um, but yeah, it's it's an awesome destination. When you're coming in on the plane, all you see are just islands and flats. Just it, literally, the water is so crystal clear because of the invasive zebra mussels and the fact that it's a great lake. Um, you just, you can see the fish. When we were flying in, we saw pods of fish just eating on the flats. It was unbelievable. Is there a certain season? So you guys went, it's now July 13th. It's World Cup final day. And um, so the Great Lakes were all frozen all winter. So you guys have to wait for that to melt down? We had, uh, Luis, my buddy Luis had, had gone up to Beaver Island on a hosted trip um, last year. And when he came back, he was like, look, we this is amazing. We've got to go up there and host a trip. So this year we hosted our first trip. Uh, we were group three, so we were the third group to show up for a three day of uh, three days of guided fishing. Um, and basically, when the guides first got up there uh, in, I believe, the end of May or early June, there was still an iceberg or two on the lake because of the deep winter we had this year. So we had to keep our eye on everything, and we were watching the reports, of course. Cam Mortensen, um, Dan Frazier, and a bunch of the media guys went up a uh, group and a half before us to get some fishing in um, for media coverage. And they had it a little rough just because of weather, but, I mean, the water temperatures can change daily depending on how much sun they get. So it was just kind of a... Kind of, I mean, it was just watching everything, making sure we weren't really worried because the guides have hosted trips, you know, for years, so they know they know how the lake works. Um, but it's just mainly monitoring temperatures up on the flats and in the water, so you know that the carp are going to come up skinny and want to sunbathe and eat. Before we talk about the fishery, let's talk about a hosted trip. What's involved in that? So a hosted trip, um, a lot of stress is involved, but mainly it's it's about you get a group of six anglers, including the host. So this year there were two hosts, Luis and I. Uh, so we hosted four anglers, Mario Garza from Michigan, um, Austin Green from Baltimore here. He's a photographer in the area. And then uh, a couple from Michigan, Cheryl and Joel. Um, and you basically, we host it through thecarptrip.com, which is run by Evan Mundor of um, Feathercraft Fly Fishing. 
Uh, he started hosting trips years ago, and that's who Cam Mortensen did his hosting through um, with those guys. So you basically just say, hey, I want to host, and then you, know, you put down the deposits and you make sure that you organize everything. For the first night, um, you are responsible for uh, a barbecue, like a meet and greet with the guides for all the anglers as they get in there. And then from then on out, the rest is covered by the trip. So let's talk about tackle and gear. So I'm not the greatest carp fisherman. I, I get them like every three or four years out of the tidal basin. I'm getting mine on size 10 Kaufman rubber-legged stoneflies. Now back at Tide Fest, you were tying up the meat locker box of flies. So these fish seem to be atypical in what they eat and it's sort of atypical gear. You said they'll crush some big rods. So let's talk about terminal tackle, what you have to pack. You know, there are fly shops up there for you to stock up on things. What, what did you pack for this trip? So we overpacked for this trip just for the fact that we were, we were hosting the trip. We had some swag to give out to the anglers and everything. But um, as far as tackle goes, I mean, most carp fishermen will agree that anywhere in the U.S. you get your carp on uh, on a 7 to 8 weight, depending on the size of the fish. Some people even go down to a 5 weight. Um, like Mario catches up in Michigan, his typical carp he'll put on his 5 weight um, glass rod. And uh, so for beaver, you kind of talk to the guides beforehand, and anyone that's done it will tell you that it's just a totally different fishery. The carp in, in the Great Lakes are predatory fish. They eat primarily gobies. They eat crawdads. You know, they just, whatever they want, whatever they're eating, they're, they're hunting. Um, and that's why we saw such aggressive takes on the carp up there, just, again, non-typical. Um, so we took up, I took up, uh, eight, nine and 10 weight, uh, because I was told that people do use 10 weights up there and have broken nine and 10 weights up there. And then you want to make sure that you have a, a, a rod with, or a reel with a, with a good drag. The last thing you want is a drag that's gonna, that's gonna surge or skip or even blow up on you and lose you the fish of a lifetime. So you want a rod that you can depend on, um, some guys were using nine weight uh, uh, Echo Ions. I was personally using my TFO Mangrove nine weight and my TF, uh, my Vapen Red, my Reddington Vapen Red eight weight. That was actually my go-to stick. I pretty much caught 90% of my carp on my eight weight Vapen Red. So you want a rod that can also uh, cast a good distance. A lot of your casts, the guides do a great job of getting you within about 25 to 30 yards, but these fish are so spooky that it's there were multiple times where I was throwing 50 to 60 yard casts. And you also uh, want a rod that can punch you into the wind. There's a, always a constant breeze up there. We lucked out with weather. We did, our weather wasn't too bad. Um, the, the wind had laid down to about a max of five knot gusts. So we were really lucky. But you want a, a line that can turn over a heavy fly. Uh, the flies that we used, one of the big ones was uh, Steve Martinez's Frankensculpin, which is used they use the um, fish skulls, uh, sculpin heads, um, and the flies are big. <laughs> flies are really big compared to what we use. I mean, you you want something that's heavy because the flats the flats aren't like you would think. You know, ankle deep water. They're they're anywhere to from two to eight feet deep. Sometimes we were fishing. We you could spot fish that were budding in ten feet of water, and you were just having to cast, align your cast and uh, throw your cast so that the fly can get down, sink, and then you can start skipping it in front of them on the bottom. So big flies, big rods, big reels, 
and a really quality floating line that's that's going to be able to turn over those big flies and a lot of backing, a lot of backing. What leaders are you guys using? Get some long because you got to get it down deep. Get some fluorocarbon because you don't want them to see in that clear water. Fluorocarbon is paramount, not only because of the the clarity, but um, the abrasiveness of the rocks that are on the on the lake. Uh, a lot of all the guides up there use Alumacraft or Polarcraft boats, aluminum boats, because um, Austin actually brought his fiberglass micro skiff up there uh, a few years ago, and he just got beat up. Not only because it would take on water, but I mean, you also have the fear with fiberglass of hitting a big boulder, which are everywhere up there. Um, so fluorocarbon is, is very important. Uh, the leader length, we actually were using the Cutthroat Leader Company, uh, furled leaders. Some of us were using those. They had camo carp leaders made for the trip, um, and those leaders were, were pretty excellent just for the turnover of the fly and the presentation. Um, but overall, I think the leader and the tippet length was anywhere between 7 and 9 feet in length because you do want, if you're in 10 feet of water, you want to be able to get that fly down deep. What's the strength on that tippet? Um, you know, actually I caught my biggest carp I caught on 10 pound tippet, but usually it's 12 to 16. And a lot of people even will just use a 12 to 16 pound uh, fluorocarbon straight leader, just straight. So the process of catching them, you've got a, a guide either pulling you or trolling mode or something. You just go out, I'm guessing they've got favorite spots for the carp come out of the deep and come on the flat. So what happens when the guide spots a fish? So yeah, uh, we'll run it through a typical day. Um, you you, you have you have your guide. Uh, there's two anglers per boat per guide. There's three three guides, six anglers total. Um, and you'll head out. They have their own selected areas, and it all depends on wind direction and water temperature. They're based on the wind, and there's certain currents within the Great Lakes that change every 15 to 30 minutes, and um, that'll pull the warm water different areas. The wind will push warm water up against the bank so the carp will go skinny and that's where the food source is being pushed as well and the warmer water. And so some of the guides up there actually have um, like low rants or Garmin uh, set up so that they can monitor the temperature of the water as well. Um, and then they also check wind direction. They're constantly monitoring the radio. I mean, it's just a, a giant equation. But you'll head out and the guide will have the flat that he wants to fish in mind. They all have their favorite flats. Um, and it really, honestly, wherever you go, there's going to be fish as long as it, you have that perfect equation of wind direction and water temperature. Um, so you, the, the guide will cut, cut down the motor usually way before the flat, and then those guides will row their way in. They, uh, they have center-mounted oars on their boats, and they'll row you in, and they are super quiet about it. I mean, they'll tell you that we, we, we had an instance on our trip where Mario was, was fishing for a huge pot of carp about... I think 30 yards ahead of him and Luis had dropped his GoPro and the carpet rod. and those boats are padded I mean the, the floors of those boats are padded so it's not like it was a loud clink it's very sensitive they'll see you cast they'll see your fly land wrong um, and so the guide will power down row you into the flat and then uh, hop up on their pulling platform or stay, just keep rowing and they'll row you on the fish turn the boat and when they pull I mean it's stealth mode they're buffs up, you know, camo uh, stuff on there since there's such a high advantage. And that's the other problem. Um, depending on the depth of the fish, if the fish are deeper in the water, they have a better idea of what's going on above the surface. 
if they're closer to that top ceiling there, it's more like a mirror to them, so they can't see as much. With these fish down in, you know, six to eight feet of water, mudding, they see what's going on. And they're so sensitive that if one's alerted, they're gone. But the one thing that's different about these beaver island carp is if you spook them and you give them about 30 seconds, they have short-term memory loss. They'll just go right back to eating again. So if you spook them, you don't want to pick up your line and keep trying to cast at them. Just let them be. Shoot at another fish and then come back to them when you get the chance. Um, so once the guide has you pulled up on the platform, you just pull, or once he is pulling up on the platform, he'll pull you down along, uh, work your way down the flat, um, and just say, hey, look, you got a fish at 11 o'clock at 20 yards. It's coming from right to left. You're going to want to put your fly here. And they guide you amazingly on these fish. I mean, they do everything but cast it themselves. And uh, the trick with these beaver island fish is, since they're usually moving, is you want to cast way ahead of them, in front of them, and then pass them so that your fly hits the bottom and you can strip it in to intercept it right in front of their noses. It's It took me a solid day of fishing to figure that out to get that casting technique down because it seems completely different to what I've ever done before. And you literally want to just put that fly right in front of their nose. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. And then uh, there's some opportunities where you'll get out of the boat. They'll put the the anchor down and you'll hop out and just wade the... uh, wade the shoreline when we were up there we were actually one day with kevin we spotted a bunch of carp way up in the grasses we could just see the grasses moving the cattails were going back and forth um so he pulled us in close and then we spooked the carp out but after we i had mentioned to to uh to kevin about how you know you get redfish that tail like that on flood tides and so after we left i spoke to kevin on the phone and he said that steve had been walking on quick on some of the uh some of the islands there and had found some flooded out uh, grasses since the water is high in the lake this year and uh, was actually just dropping flies right from the tip of his rod in front of the carp and hooking up and had a, a banner day. You guys got into some other species as well. Would you consider them bycatch or are they fun? Yeah, they're, they're the smallmouth up there are tanks and they're among the most studied in the world. Um, they are tanks. They will they will fight hard, and they are definitely bycatch. I mean, you're up there to catch carp, and it's funny because you'll catch like a three pound smallmouth, which down around here in Maryland is is amazing. It's a great fish, and the guys just laugh at it and say, "Oh, nice fish. All right, get your photo. I, you know, let's." The, but you get into these five. I got into a five five and a half pounder, and it's just like holy smokes. You know, these fish, especially on an eight weight, even. The one fish I caught, we actually, Kevin was pulling us along the flat, and he said, hey, you've got a carp at 12 o'clock, it's coming right at the boat, I'm going to turn you so you can get a cast. And up until about 25 yards, we thought it was a carp. And I threw a cast, and as soon as I started to strip it, it pursued my fly like a predator. I hooked up, and it wasn't until I was hooked up on the fish that we knew it was a small one. I mean, it was a tank, and it came in, dark as can be, big old lip ring tag, 
on its lip. So, and then you also have uh, pike. We got into a bunch of pike on the second and third day. Um, Mario and Luis just tore up the pike. Luis got a nice pike on the third day with me. And those fish, you know, they just sit on the bottom. They just hold to the bottom. They look like a little log on the bottom. You can't even tell that it's a fish until you throw a fly over them and start to strip, and you just see them come up and annihilate it. And then the last fish we saw was uh, I caught one of my I caught my big carp, and, or I caught one of my big carp, and then went on to catch my big smallmouth. Uh, and then about five minutes later, I'm up on the bow after Austin caught his fish and, uh, Kevin looks at me and he goes, all right, you've got a, there's your third species right there. You got your chance at a slam. And I thought he was talking about a pike and we actually looked down and there was like a five, six pound sheep's head, uh, freshwater drum. It's just mudding on the bottom and I, I blew the shot, but it was amazing to watch that fish eat. And for those that aren't familiar with zebra mussels, you want to talk about them and their impact? Yeah. So they're... Um, I guess they're, they're an invasive species for sure up there in the Great Lakes. They initially came up in ship's ballast through the lock system. Um, I believe they're invasive just because they choke out the bottom and they, uh, they prevent photosynthesis for some of the natural, uh, natural plants that are up there. Um, but the, the way they filter those lakes is amazing. I mean, it's... The water clarity is just, you can see, there were some parts where we could see like 40 feet down. You just see big boulders sitting on the bottom, little black spots all around them. You're like, oh, there's a bunch of fish down there. You know, cruising along, all the water's turquoise, crystal clear. You're on the flats. You can see fish coming in from 20, 30, 40, 50. Even sometimes if you have a good advantage on a big boulder, you can see them 100 yards away just coming into a flat. So the zebra mussels, I don't entirely know the biology behind them. I do know for a fact that they're invasive um, and that they've made their way in through the ship's ballast. All right, so you mentioned um, earlier that you guys had some, some gifts from some companies to help you guys out on the trip. Yeah, so Cheeky Fly Fishing sent us some koozies and uh, some real um, pouches, which was awesome, neoprene real uh, pouches. Um Water's Edge Fly Co. Jason Haddix has been a good friend of ours since, uh, for about a year now. And he hooked us up with just, like, I think eight dozen flies we gave out to the anglers. And I actually caught my first Beaver Island carp on his, uh, one of his flies. And, um, yeah, I mean, so we got a bunch of those. We got, uh, Feathercraft gave us each meat lockers, uh, fly boxes, which was awesome. We got, um, we got, I mean, we got so much gear that we took up there. It was just kind of crazy. Stickers. Um, the Cutthroat Leader Company gave us the carp leaders, which were awesome. I, I know a bunch of anglers use those. So everything performed well, and we had a good time. Luis and I brought up some of the Flying Dog Brewery Dead Rise Old Bay beer for everybody to taste, get a little bit of Maryland, and some crab chips. Um, and then, we, brought, of course, I brought up uh, some Gentleman Jack because I sell it. And uh, so we, we enjoyed some of that, and Mario brought up some Russell's Reserve, so we had some, some fun times with some bourbons, and uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. There's a wine rider next to us eating a crate. Yeah, yeah, he's tearing apart that bag. We're also at the, uh, the gates of the U.S. Naval Academy, happening out here. All right, so uh, after you guys were done fishing, you exhausted? Is it just sit around a fire, have some beers? Yeah, so the, the first night, we actually got up there a day early, so we camped out with the permission of 
the awesome people that own the um, Fisherman's House there. They also own the, the deli and the market. Everything's so small. It's, like, right there, and it's all owned by the same people. It's, like, the guy, the mayor of the town is also, like, the garbage man, and, like, the guy who runs the deli is also, like, the post office worker, and the lady who preserves all the beaver carps, or beaver pelts, is, like, also the waitress at the local bar. You know, everybody, it's a small little area. So we, we, we stayed up. We camped on the lawn with my big tent the first night, um, and then the, uh, the second night we moved into the house. Um, and, uh, well, you know, you, you, you start the morning, 8 o'clock, you meet at the deli with the guides, get your breakfast, come back. What's, what's breakfast up there? Breakfast? Did you guys eat beavers? We did not eat beavers, but I did see a beaver, and I did get a beaver pelt for uh, time flies. Um, the breakfast is at the McDonough's Deli, and it is amazing. I mean, the best breakfast you've ever had. Best meals in general. We got lunch there, too. Um, so when you get breakfast, I got, like, the Irish breakfast, you know, like, uh, the corned beef and, and hash and eggs and just, you know, calories and heart attack and deliciousness. A guy just rode up on a bike behind you with his shirt open with a slut written on his chest and lipstick. So you're stuff happy. He must have had a good night. Um, yes, at the at the deli, at the deli, after you grab breakfast, you, you uh, pick out your lunch, walk out, throw it in the guy's uh, cooler, and then head back, grab your gear for the day. They'll pick you up at the house, which is right down the street, throw all your gear in, and then hop on the boat, put in, have a full day, two full days of fishing, and then a half day. Um, full day of fishing, we came back, unloaded, you, know, you go back and shower, everybody meets and talks about their days, and then uh, the guides pick you up for, for dinner, and we all go out to dinner. And uh, the second day we got back, we had, Austin and I had had a banner day. I mean, I think I caught five or six fish, Austin had caught three or four, and like big carp, and we caught smallmouth in between, and um, we came back and we actually waited the flats right there in the harbor. We want more fish, and I ended up landing two more fish right off of Gulls Harbor there at the end of the street. So it was just, I mean, it was just a mix of everything with the weather and just the right patterns and everything. I mean, uh, it was pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, you just kind of want to chill, talk to everybody, have throw back a few beers, some bourbon, you know, have a good time, maybe smoke a stone. What's the rule on bananas in the boats? If you get a, a cramp, are you screwed? Nobody up there cares about that rule. We all joked about it on the ride up because I, I uh, kind of blew uh, a tournament for us on uh, Mike Dunlap's boat last year when I brought some bananas and threw a fit. But nobody really believes in that superstition, which is funny because I turned to one of the guides and I was like, "What do you think about um, what do you think about me bringing a banana on the boat?" He goes, "Go ahead, throw in the cooler." You know, so not a big deal. When I worked in the Keys, that was like you'd get thrown overboard. You'd become chum. I think it's bad juju for saltwater. Yeah. Where can we find all these people on, online, social media? Yeah, so uh, the Indigo Guides are uh, Indigo Guide Service. Um, Austin Oducci has his own guide service as well. It's called Grab Your Fly. It's based out of Chicago. Um, he's a carp and smallmouth guide up there. Um, uh, the Indigo Guides can also be found on their blog, thirdcoastfly.com. And then the carp trip is carptrip.com. Uh, you can check out Feathercraft at feather-craft.com for uh you know, they have all your fly fishing needs. It's the world's, I think it's the biggest uh, online fly fishing shop. Great catalog. Go request it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a free catalog. Um, 
Cutthroat Leaders, all those guys you can find online, just Google searching uh, CutthroatLeaderCo.com, I believe. And you can also find all these guys on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, Austin Green is Austin Green Photography and The Uncommon Angler. And then my blog is Tightline Tales of a Fly Fisherman. We also have, uh, Luis has Chesapeake Fly Company. And, uh, yeah, anything I've mentioned in the podcast, just go ahead and Google it. Those guys, you know, show them your support. We have honestly had a blast and, uh, looking forward to hosting a trip next year. All right, so next you guys have Carp Week coming up. So first there's Shark Week and then you've got Carp Week. So let's go into Carp Week. Yeah, so we're going into our third annual installment of Carp Week. It's a uh, full week of carp on the fly on our blog. Uh, we started it three years ago, and now it's kind of picked up. It's actually kind of crazy because the hashtag has, like, a good amount of uh, hashtags now. People use it year-round. But we all, we've we always run it the week after Shark Week this year. I'm not sure if we're going to do it the week after Shark Week since I'll be out of town. If it's going to be the week right after Shark Week or the two weeks after Shark Week, most likely I'll just par it up have it ready for when I'm gone on vacation, let it just kind of run itself. Um, but yeah, we have sponsors giveaways. We do interviews with uh, industry leading professionals. We um, do a daily video of Carp on the Fly. We for sure will recap our Beaver Island trip this year and do a full recap of that, show some photos, and uh, the swag we give away is pretty unbelievable. I'm sure we'll give away some Carp leaders, some Carp flies, all that stuff for sure. It's uh, it's definitely afterwards. People definitely have the bug to go catch some carp on the fly. And you got to say, pretty recently, that carp is now like a target species. I mean, it was about four years ago that Orvis first had like a rod designated like you can use that for carp. <laughs> it used to be bonefish, tarpon, trout, largemouth bass. Yeah. And now carp are a mainstream target species. Yeah, I think when Orvis picked it up is when it really got huge. But you know, people have been carp fishing on the fly for a long, long time. Barry Reynolds' Carp on the Fly book came out in, I believe, the late 80s or early 90s. And people have been doing it for a long time, you know. Um, but I think it got huge when Orvis made a big deal about it. And I think within the last, what, year and a half, they've uh, actually opened up their Carp Central on their site, Orvis's Carp site, which they paired up with Carp Pro, who also is new and has become really, really big. So... There's magazines designated for it. You know, it's it's huge. And it for a lot of people who think it's trash fish, you know, you can think that until you get one on the fly, and you're going to be blown away. I saw more backing on fish in Beaver Island and on carp in general for the past couple of years than I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, they will work you, and they are fun. They are a lot of fun. The last one I landed bent my salmon net. Yeah, they get huge. The big fish that I caught up in Beaver Island was 34 pounds on Kevin Morlock's certified scale. I mean, it was it was enormous fish. It's bigger than my kid. It was bigger than my kid, yeah. Yeah, it's, I, that's actually what I said in the GoPro video I have. I, I pick it up and I, I go, oh my gosh, Kevin, this is bigger than my daughter. You know, this, it, this fish, the small fish that you catch up there are 20 pounds, which even John Montana will tell you is a phenomenal fish. Speaking of John Montana, you're a big is hybrid carp fly. Oh, that's my go-to. Anywhere other than Beaver Island, that's the fish. That's my first fly that I put on to, when I'm targeting when I'm targeting carp. The CNO Canal carp absolutely love the hybrid fly. So easy to tie. Yeah, it's it's easy. It's great. It's a little bit of micro chenille right off the tail. You wind some peacock curl up the shank and then tie up some. You can use pretty much any soft tackle feather as a collar right behind some dumbbell eyes. 
it's easy. It's easy and it's extremely, extremely effective. I mean, I've caught largemouth on it. I've caught small, little, tiny, dink striped bass on it. I've caught carp on it. I've caught largemouth, smallmouth, you know, bluegill, anything. It's a great fly. So what's next for you? What are you doing with the rest of your summer? The rest of my summer, we're uh, going on vacation uh, in August. Going to hit up my parents' beach house in Bethany and try and get in some fish down there in the back bays with my cousin, uh, Colin Hurley of the Backwoods crew. Um, and then we're going to, you know, just fish our butts off. I'm actually going to head up to uh, Harper's Ferry today to fish with Remick's mother, Supply Times DC, and my buddy Phil Jorney of CCA. You got some fresh helper mics to throw up there? Fresh Helga makes it throw courtesy of Rob Snow White, the fly fishing consultant. All right, all right. Well, I think I'm not supposed to say all right already anymore, right? That was on iTunes. But, uh, all right, well, let's wrap it up. Uh, where can we find you again online? Tightline Tales of a Fly Fisherman. Just Google it. It's easier than typing in the URL. We're working on that. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and then, uh, yeah, if you want to personally friend me on Facebook, that's cool too. Morgan Comfort, K U P F E R. Let's go find our ladies and see how much of our money they spend at the farmer's market. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network. Brought to you in part by HuntStand the number one hunting and land management app. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.